0: Capital One is a proud partner of the Roden Fellows Program, which provides opportunities to aspiring sports journalists from historically Black colleges and universities to produce content, including this podcast, throughout the year. Capital One supports this program as a part of their larger commitment to the advancement of students from HBCUs. Welcome to the 2021 to 2022 Roden Fellows podcast. I'm your host Sarah Jones Smith, a broadcast journalism major at Howard University, and I have the pleasure of being joined by another Roden Fellow, Alexis Davis from North Carolina A&T. Hey, hey, everyone! So protesting on university campuses against injustice is definitely not a new concept. HBCUs kind of have a long history of students taking action against the matters that they find to be unjust. So from the 1923 protest at FAMU when student, that students organized when they were demanding the resignation of the university's president, to Howard's 2018 protest demanding proper housing. But over the last month, it has been made abundantly clear that student protesters are extremely necessary in the push for university administration to kind of do the right thing by students. From October 12th to November 15th, which is 34 days, Howard students were protesting against hazardous living conditions. They shared photos via social media that showed mold growing in the showers, walls, and air ducts, as well as mushrooms and rodents in the housing facilities. They were also protesting against the removal of both the student and alumni seats on the university board of trustees and a lack of transparency and communication between the students and the administration after deciding that enough was enough dozens of students decided to occupy the blackburn university center which is also one of two campus cafeterias the protest was called the blackburn takeover and it garnered a lot of tension on social media and popular news sources Actually, the Undefeated's very own Mia Berry did a story on it. Reverend Jesse Jackson made an appearance to speak to the students, and alumni Debbie Allen did the same. So many more people expressed their support and definitely donated to make sure that the students were taken care of while they were protesting. It gained a lot of traction, and so here today to speak about their experience, we have student protesters from Howard, Chandler Robinson, and Taye Martin. How are you guys doing today? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm definitely good. Um, I would say that, you know, as another Howard student, it's so refreshing to hear about people protesting to make sure that our university is the best that it can be. And I'm not on campus right now, but I can definitely say that you guys had my full and complete support the entire time that I was at home i was staying tuned on social media definitely seeing what ways i could support you all and what i could do to stay updated and inform other people about what was going on so thank you so much for just your efforts and for your tenacity and for making sure that you did your part to make sure that howard is as best as it could be
1: yeah thank you for your support you know that's one of the things that's been really amazing about this protest is seeing the level of support we have not just from you know, students on campus, but students off campus, faculty, alumni, and just the broader community. So we appreciate that too.
0: Of course, of course. And so obviously we want to know a little bit about who you guys are first.
2: So can you go ahead and introduce yourselves for us? Sure. My name is Chandler Robinson. I'm an 18-year-old freshman psychology major from Dover, Delaware.
1: And my name is Ty Martin. I'm a 22-year-old senior legal communications major from the Bay Area, California.
0: Awesome. I'm from California, too. So how did the idea of the Blackburn Takeover come about and what part did you two play in that?
2: So the sit-in that occurred after the town hall that was supposed to have taken place with President Frederick and students was drafted by Anaya Vines and Erica England, two seniors who are responsible for organizing the Live Movement and hashtag Blackburn Takeover protest.
0: Okay, okay, so what are some of the reasons behind why the Blackburn takeover was necessary?
1: I would say uh, there are really a lot of reasons, but it really boils down to, I think the fundamental belief um, and reality that the administration has not been accountable to students for quite a while. Um, And there has been such a lack of communication, uh, not just the administration, but specifically with the president of Howard with students, Um, the, you know, refusal to grant, you know, a town hall, um, you know, until the protest concluded and all that kind of stuff. And just the fact that people haven't met the president, you know, I've been at Howard for three years and the only time I've seen President Frederick is on the, you know, 30 foot tall murals that he had painted of himself on campus. I've never seen him in person, never seen him speaking to students and that's a problem. Um, So I think that's one of the fundamental things that we are most concerned about is that there be an open dialogue with the administration and the students because the administration can't serve the students effectively if they're not hearing student concerns.
3: Um, right. I would also add to that, too, um, at a and uh, we have constant um, communication with our Chancellor Martin. He's very hands-on with us. Um, he speaks to us on campus. Anytime you email his office trying to get some type of meeting with him or if you have a concern, um, he never sends you to a secondary or another source. Um, he always makes himself available. So I can definitely see how having a disconnect with your chancellor or president um, can definitely make you not feel supported as a student.
0: Yeah, and when it comes to like Wayne Frederick, who is the president of Howard University, I also have only seen him like once, and that was during move-in day when I was a freshman, but there have been instances where I've really needed help with things and the rest of the administration wasn't doing anything. So of course I resulted to emailing him and that was just, it was, it was just as bad because his response was not very helpful. And so you know, it does make you feel a lack of support when, of course, you've never seen the person or you rarely see the person around campus, and then you reach out to them for help as kind of like a last resort, and they don't give that to you, so yeah, I would definitely agree with everything that you said, and so another really big part of the Blackburn takeover was the state of the dorms, so did you two live in any of the dorms that were impacted or mentioned on
1: social media? So I, I personally live. have lived off campus this year. Um, I did live on campus my first year here, which was I believe 2019. Um, and while there wasn't necessarily mold or anything like that, there were pretty rampant issues. Um, we did have like the rats, the cockroaches, um, the heating was broken uh, for you know a lot of the winter And the AC was broken for the first couple of weeks I was there in August um, when it was getting really, really hot. So a lot of people had to go and buy their own fans and stuff to just even try and be able to live in the dorms without, you know, having a heat stroke or something. Um, So I I haven't specifically experienced like the mold and the mushrooms and whatnot. I have definitely, you know, experienced when I lived on campus, you know, that it's it's just it's unacceptable. And these issues are not new. I've spoken to alumni um, from 20, 30 years ago who had a lot of the same issues. So it's it's not a new problem. It's one of the recurring issues with Howard. And that's why we felt the need to escalate it to the Blackburn t- takeover.
0: Mm-hmm. Chandler, you have anything to add on to that?
2: Yes, yeah, so I actually currently live in College Hall South, which is one of the dorms that flooded. Actually, it flooded on Friday the 19th. Um but even before the flood, of course, there were issues within the dorm, so mold was found in the dorm sometime in late October, which is late compared to all of the other dorms who who found mold as early as as August. but we lost a c and heat when it was about thirty degrees outside. it was freezing i didn't have heat for about two weeks, um, and it's very difficult to get maintenance requests answered just because there are so many issues within the building. Um, Also, our air vents were not replaced, um, so we had old air vents basically blowing out dust. Um, We had a lot of dust coming out of our air vents just like falling into the room so air vents were from pre-COVID they hadn't been replaced since we arrived and then of course the the flood that happened on the 19th my floor my hall actually is one of the four that flooded so I had to walk through kind of a, a lake of water to get to my room thankfully my things were not damaged but my neighbors all to the left of me they were all removed from their rooms and had to be relocated.
0: And the sad thing is that that all sounds way too familiar because I also lived in College Hall South and it also flooded when I lived there. So I can definitely agree and speak to the fact that these are not new issues. So can you guys tell me some of the challenges that you all faced, you know, sleeping outside for over a month?
2: So with sleeping outside for 34 days, there are going to be a lot of issues, and also we're an open campus, so we can't really control who is and, are, who is, and is not on campus. So we had a lot of issues with non-students roaming around the area, um, looking inside of tents, trying to get inside of the building. So we had to kind of create our own security system. So students, that's our thing. Who protects us, we protect us. We had to create our own security team of marshals, of what, of one of which Tai is a part of. Um it was very cold, of course. Um, that's why tents so many tents were donated. Um, we had a thousand hot hands, um, but of course, even in freezing weather, tents and hot hands and blankets and body heat is not always enough. So the weather and just our location created uh, a lot of challenges.
0: Mm-hmm. Tai, do you have anything to add to that?
1: Yeah, um, so I joined the protest, um, started sleeping outside around day four, Um, and I kind of came back probably six or seven times um, between then and like towards the end of October, and I can definitely second a lot of stuff that she just said. Um, In the very beginning, before we had a lot of tents, people were sleeping on the concrete, Um, and then once we had enough tents for, you know, pretty much everybody to be in a tent, you know, you still do have to worry about, you know, being warm and, you know, being out in the cold when it's raining and all that stuff. Um, so there were multiple times when people, people's whole tents were soaked with stuff um, because it had rained. Um, and then, you know, also the second, you know, the security concerns. You know, like she said, um, you know, we did have issues with people who were non-students, you know, kind of roaming around trying to get inside the building. And we had to essentially take that security into our own hands. Um, so we had to have, you know, rotations of people watching different doors, checking exits. Um doing, you know, rounds and patrols around the building to make sure that things were secure. Um, and, and, you know, that's something that, you know, college students shouldn't have to be worried about because their university isn't taking care of them, you know, but that was something that we did have to enact. Um, and then just as far as even when we, when we got in the building, the environment, you know, was pretty tenuous. We had times where, you know, people were, uh, you know, incredibly cold. The heating had been off for quite a long time. And so, you know, temperatures were getting really really cold, people started getting sick. Um, And even when we were able to get that resolved, we still weren't really able to get the heating going. So just stuff like that, um, where, you know, it presents, you know, a health concern for students and also a lot of safety concerns. Um, So yeah, it was definitely was a lot that we had to resolve and we had to kind of take into our own plan and our own hands and almost build the plane as we were flying it. and, as you know anybody could you know understand, you know that's something that we took seriously, but also we shouldn't have to be doing just to be heard about our university,
0: exactly,
3: yeah. I would even add to that too, um, even at a campus, um, the Greensboro Four that participated in the different sit-ins at different diners um, so that, you know, Black people were able to dine wherever they pleased Um, from February to July 1960. um, They really had to depend on each other, to look out for each other at the different sit-ins. You know, there was no really university officials. There was no police, you know, with them. They really had to depend on each other. So I think in a large, a larger scope, um, just, you know, the strength that HBCU students have and the fact that they really believe in each other uh, to make worldly changes um, is definitely showcased on different campuses.
0: Yeah. And so, like, when it comes to your parents or your families, how did they feel about this? Did you guys tell them about this stuff? I'm sure they couldn't help but see things about it. But how, how
2: did that go over with them? I immediately, my parents said, all right, pack your stuff up, we're taking you home. And I told them, no, I want to stick out at least the year or the semester, fill it out. Of course, every university has their problems. And then those problems started to pile up and started to be like, okay, not every university has this many problems. What's going on here? And But once I became a part of the protest, they understood that I had a job to do. Um, I made it my job to kind of stand up for people who were not comfortable being in the spotlight and talking about these issues. So they understood that I needed to stay on campus to, to fix this issue. I had committed to them as well, that I would stay on campus until this issue was resolved, whichever way it went, um, would decide whether or not I transferred my sophomore year, but I would stay my freshman year, but they were, they were not excited and they are still not excited. Um, about the conditions of the campus. They're very proud of my commitment to staying and my, I guess, tenacity through the the entire experience, but they were not happy about learning, um, upon learning that they were leaving their daughter at a university um, that takes care of their students in such a way.
1: Yeah, and just to echo that, I mean, you know, uh, I definitely, you know, when I had a conversation with my mom about it, you know, she definitely wasn't thrilled to say the least. Um, but, you know, I think she also was supportive of me going out. Um, I do also have to admit, I may have left some of the details out just not to worry her too much. Um, but yeah, it's it just, I think it was definitely both a little bit of pride that I was taking part in something like that, but also disappointment and sadness that something like this was necessary.
0: Right, most definitely. And so was there ever a time during the demonstration where you kind of felt like your efforts might be in vain?
2: When it's freezing and you're in a tent? Yes, 100%. um, Because there were only 20 days of negotiation, not not only as if that's a short period of time, but there were 14 days where we had no negotiation no movement from the university at all so when you're sleeping outside in a freezing tent and we've made no progress 100 there's questions like what am i doing here i could have taken other scholarships or other rides at different universities of course we had those questions but we had after a while just such a large in of love and kind of the community just wrapping their arms around us and telling us thank you for speaking up for my child or thank you for saying things that i was scared to do when i was student at Howard. We had so many of those emails and comments from the community that it really helped me, at least I can say, to continue the fight, to to stay it through with even with those like hot hands and those blankets. Um, The love and support that we received from the community definitely helped me.
1: Yeah, and and just to second that as well, um, there were definitely periods of time where it felt a little bit bleak. I would definitely say that you know, just the stance the administration had over the course of the protest was like just really disappointing. Um, you know, trying to kind of blame us for a lot of the issues in whatever way they could, um, and try to pin it pin things on us when it was very apparent that the issues were not caused by us and we were actually trying to address them. That was pretty discouraging. Um, and you know, just the whole journey of being there um, and. Trying to advocate for these things. The fact that we had to be there was discouraging, but I wouldn't say there was a moment where, you know, I doubted that it was worth it or needed to be done. Um, I would just say that it definitely was a little disappointing that we had to be there to achieve it.
3: Um, I had a question for Chandler. I know that you said that you were a freshman. This is your first year in college, your first year at an HBCU. So like I know, you know, when looking at Howard and looking at, you know, student experiences on Instagram, maybe even watching blogs from them going to homecoming, et cetera. This is definitely not what you expected um, your HBCU experience to be like. So how did you kind of, you know, alter your expectations and kind of, you know, become an adult overnight and stick up for a cause like this?
2: I'm from Dover, Delaware. So we have DSU out there. So I'm very familiar with that Um, HPCU, I was not familiar at all with Howard. I can definitely say I was kind of ignorant when coming to Howard. I just saw my financial aid package. I have a, I'm on a leadership scholarship here. Um, so I saw that and I was like, all right, I'm going to Howard University. Um, I did not do a lot of research, but I was just excited to be going to an HBCU that was out of state, um, that was as prestigious as Howard is. So I can definitely say that I did not do my due diligence in, in researching thank, because I possibly would have seen all of the issues, um, that currently plague Howard University. And I most likely would not have accepted or committed here, um, yeah.
0: I hate to hear you say that because it's just so sad that that even has to be a reality for anybody. Like coming to Howard should be an incredible experience. Like it's it's the Mecca. It's such an amazing place or it's, it's supposed to be such an amazing place. So it's definitely disappointing to hear you say that. And I hope that the experience changes for students in the future. Um, so. Moving forward, can you kind of share with us some things that were agreed upon between the students and the
2: administration? So the agreement itself is actually confidential, so we can't get into kind of the nitty gritty of the agreement. But what we can say is that we definitely achieved all of the things that we set out to achieve on October 12th. Um, we definitely plan to graduate on time. So that's that's definitely not a question. Um, but we did, again, reach that agreement on November 15th. It was signed on November 15th at 8.30 in the morning. Um, but we received increased accountability and transparency from the university and scrutiny, of course, and better public health and safety.
0: Mm-hmm. And, you know, on social media, there have been a lot of people upset about the fact that the terms of the agreement are confidential because, you know, they kind of feel like, well, maybe we were out there protesting some days as well. We feel like we should know, or I donated. I feel like I should know. So can you kind of share with us who had a hand in making the decision to sign that agreement? And how did you all decide that what was listed was effective for the student body?
2: So I can also answer that because I was a part of the legal negotiations team for the Blackburn Takeover. So we had multiple agreements sent to us within those 20 days of negotiations. And every time we were sent um, a possible agreement, we came together as a collective, as in all of the students who were occupying the Blackburn Student Center, um, and said, is this what we want? if it's not what we wanted, we voted no, we went back to the drawing table. And when we got this agreement on the, on the 14th, excuse me, when we received the agreement, we sat down, we voted and we agreed this is what we set out to achieve on October 12th. And it was signed later the next day. Um, to the question, I think the main question that I've seen on social media is how do we hold the university accountable if we don't know what's in the agreement, which is a valid question. But I can definitely say that the benefit of having a confidentiality agreement is that if there's ever a time where either party does not follow the agreement, it becomes null and void, and we can speak about it immediately. So we're praying that, of course, this agreement is completely followed, but God forbid something happens and they don't, we will be able to speak about it immediately because that confidentiality piece is broken.
0: Okay, got it.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the strength of the agreement. Um, you know, we were sent quite a few versions of an agreement um, and rejected all, obviously, but the last. Um, and, you know, we had at, you know, at one point, you know, 50 plus students in the building. And I can say that we, when we did bring it to the collective, you know, in previous times, there had been a lot of back and forth, and a lot of debate around, is this good enough? Should we take this? With this most recent agreement, it was actually a unanimous vote from everyone in the building to accept the agreement. Um, so that should kind of speak to um, you know what we achieved with the agreement—the fact that we did get every get the things that we set out to achieve, achieve our goals. Um, so hopefully that allays some of the concern.
2: Okay. Yes, because we 100 percent had plans to stay for Thanksgiving. We had we're talking to caterers to cater for all of the students who had stayed for Thanksgiving. We're gonna fly our families in. Um, they were all gonna like buy their tickets and come in and stay with us for Thanksgiving. So had we not received an agreement that we liked, we definitely would not take it, um, would not have taken it just because right. like, you know, the, the Thanksgiving break is coming up. We were definitely planning to stay. Yeah.
0: Okay. do you all have anything planned to kind of make sure that those individuals who maybe were, you know, inside of the building on and off, were in there protesting for some span of days and then maybe weren't there when you decide on the agreement or those who donated or supported via social media kind of don't feel like they're left out of the loop since the terms are confidential?
2: I know that we have a team that has committed to continuing the fight outside of the student center. Um, We are, again, committed to holding the administration accountable, because if we don't, who who does? So we would ask just that you trust us. We stayed for 34 days, and we are are definitely not giving up on this issue. we will keep everyone in the loop as much as we can without breaking that that confidentiality. We're trying as much as we can again to be transparent, but confidentiality was not our suggestion. But we are again trying to follow the agreement as much as possible while keeping that transparency that we fought for.
1: And I can also say, um, you know, just because you know the Blackbird takeover and occupation has ended does not by any means indicate that you know we're done advocating or holding the administration accountable um you know we do have you know students committed i mean you know we have plans you know in the works that i may not necessarily be able to speak in detail about now because they're in the beginning stages but definitely organizational plans in the works to you know cr- make it a lot easier for people to be looped in to be a part of this kind of thing i mean to really engage not just the student body the alumni, the faculty, and to kind of create a framework for all those parties to work together in a really efficient and streamlined way. Um, So, you know, rest assured that, you know, this is not the end, and we are moving forward with those goals in mind and acting on those goals.
2: And if you want to join those teams, um, the Live Movement did open their applications to join. so I would recommend to any student that feels like maybe they were possibly left out to to join to that we're very we have very open arms we're all a family um, so 100% join us.
0: Okay And so for this last question I want both of you to answer for sure because it's very important. How does it feel to lead a legacy of not only future Howard students but future HBCU students as a whole?
1: Um, I've got to be honest, I'm not quite sure if I have fully unpacked that yet. (laughs) Um, you know, we, we did just get out and it's a lot of, you know, kind of recovering. Um, and, you know, one of the things that, you know, we had dialogue with a lot of the alumni on, especially the ones who were involved in both the 2018 and also the 1989 protests at Howard was concerning, you know, how difficult it is to grasp the, the, the impact of this kind of thing in the moment. Um, so right now I can say it's been really touching and really encouraging seeing not just all the support, but also the people speaking on the impact we've had and, you know, thanking us for doing what we've done. And that's something that makes me really happy and makes me feel like it was worth it. Um, and feels like, you know, I've made an impact. Um, but as far as, you know, realizing the, the full scope of how this protest has impacted the broader community, that's going to take some time. Um, but, yeah, I would definitely say, you know, it definitely feels encouraging and feels validating to hear about the people who have been positively affected by what we did.
2: I 100% agree. Um, again, it's today is the 20th, so we've only been out, we've been out less than a week, so it's still, we're still trying to, I guess, get used to the regular world. We were, you know, in that student center in a very small area, just all of us for 34 days straight. So when we, when I joined, I can say at least that I, I started because I was, on, I joined on day one because I was upset. I, um, I felt the same way as a lot of the other student protesters. And I didn't start to realize that I was speaking and helping so many other people until maybe, a week before it was over, when we started see, when I got an email from a parent saying "thank you so much," so I agree with Taye on the fact that I have not processed the impact that I have had. Um, I I just wanted to create change.
0: That is so amazing. And from one bison to two others, I will definitely say that your bravery is so inspiring and it's so amazing to see Howard University students and just HBCU students in general doing things that show that the next generation will stand in the name of Black liberation and peaceful protests to institute the necessary change to empower society as a whole and especially african-american youth so thank you guys so much for your efforts for everything that you did for howard for the doors that you're opening and most of all thank you for joining us on our podcast best of luck with your completion of your education at howard and i really do appreciate everything that you guys have done because it's
2: definitely incredible thank you so much thank you so much for having us
0: Okay, so that's it for today's episode to our audience. Thank you so much for tuning in to us once again. We are super excited for you guys to listen to our next episode. And we would like to give a very special thanks to Chandler Robinson and Ty Martin for taking the time to be with us and for sharing their experiences. And an extra thanks to our producer, Calvin Sykes, to Parker Owens, and to the ESPN Digital Audio content team. Get all of the HBCU 468 podcasts by subscribing to The Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Make sure to join us next time for another HBCU podcast. And don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great week, everybody.